0: Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. Come to you from my new office, aka my car. This is where you do a lot of work these days in the COVID environment around the NFL because they have the media room up. And the media room, let's say, media room, let's say, is uh, in the Giants' facility, is about thirty by twenty, and there's you know anywhere from like five to ten people in there on a given day. Uh, depending who's around and you know everyone's there obviously masked up but i'd rather be not be in a 30 by 20 room with five or 10 people who aren't getting tested so my preference is to work in my car so i go to practice and beforehand if we do zoom calls i do them in my car afterwards also do them in my car you go to out to practice you're standing from a distance you're watching but a lot of my work these days is done in my new office which is my car uh, a lot of water bottles and uh, clothes and uh, material hanging around, you know, just floating around my car. My car's a mess, but, hey, you do what you got to do these days. And the big news around the Giants is they made an addition, a pretty significant addition, in that they signed Logan Ryan on Monday afternoon. Oh, Sorry, they agreed the terms with Logan Ryan. We'll see if everything goes through because, remember, it happened. They agreed to terms as well with Ross Cockrell, and that never went through. So they're still, you know, testing, uh, putting pen to paper on a deal before these things become official physicals. Uh, so there are some things that could go wrong. But the idea is for Logan Ryan to be part of this secondary, a secondary that needed help because once mm-hmm. Xavier McKinney went down, okay, then. You already had, remember, you already had previously, DeAndre Baker has his legal problems. He's gone. He's not part of the equation. Uh, Sam Beal opted out. We didn't know what he was going to be anyway, but that's another cornerback who opted out. McKinney, who was going to be a big part of what they did, probably not as a starter immediately, but still a big part of nickel package slot, you know, working in the slot. And that is my understanding of what they think Logan Ryan brings to the table. Because if you think about it, if you go back and look, and I know there's pro football focused numbers out there of where Logan Ryan played last year, and a lot of it was in that slot and in the safety position. You know, so he's not this out if you think he's an outside corner, he's gonna come in and play opposite James Bradbury, I don't think that is the intention right now. That that's I don't think that is the plan. I think he's gonna fit into that role that they had for McKinney, that slot nickel corner safety type role and that's where you're going to see Logan Ryan will he be on the field a lot yes he will be on the field plenty but is he going to be like okay the outside corner I'm not so sure that's the case I still think you know Corey Ballantyne's probably going to be first up in that role you know late round pick last year uh he's been around all offseason all summer they're trying to get somebody to play that role I think He has the skill set right now that's probably better suited for it. Now, if he totally flops, if he poops the bed, yes. You got to make that move. Logan Ryan is now at least another option that they have that they can move him out there. And you need options because injuries happen in this game and uh, Logan Ryan is a proven, experienced player in this league. So the Giants' secondary got better. Now, the hope is McKinney can get back late. November-ish, probably around after the bye week. And then if everybody's healthy, you have a lot of depth back there, which is a good problem to have. The Giants will worry about that and take that. If that if that's a problem in November, December, and they're still playing meaningful games, kudos to them. But my understanding was the Giants had been monitoring Logan Ryan pretty much since the start of free agency. Now, they went the James Bradbury route, so At that point, Ryan wasn't really in the equation. But they were still keeping an eye on it because he's a player who has a connection to Joe Judge. We know that. They were in New England together. Judge knows what he brings to the table. He'll buy into their program. He's a quality guy who can help build that program, which I think is key here. And so he kind of really wasn't in the equation. Giants were keeping an eye on it, you know, just to see what that price was. The price was pretty high at first, probably at the outset of free agency, it was even more than they, they were willing to pay for him. You know, the $10 million range or whatever. Maybe even higher. Remember, at this point, they don't have Xavier McKinney. So, Ryan stays out there. His price is pretty high. Think $10 million range. The Giants then draft McKinney. You say, okay, they don't need Logan Ryan now because he's not this straight outside cornerback. But then guys start going down. Baker starts going. You know, Baker has his legal problems. He's not going to play another down for the Giants. Sam opts out. He's now gone. Uh, and then McKinney, he now is injured. So the need becomes stronger and stronger. There's a mutual interest in the, between these two sides, probably picked up in the last week. Uh, I really think what kind of put this, what is able to put this over the top was Ryan switched agents, was willing and ready to get a deal done We'll see what the real numbers come in at. I'm interested to see when we see the full details of the contract. It's being reported as one year, seven and a half million. I'm not so sure it's going to be one year straight, seven and a half million. Some of that's probably upside incentives, but we'll see when the final deal is done. But what really put this deal over the top was he makes the agent switch. He's now working with Joel Siegel, who's a big-time agent, right? Does a lot, a lot of big-time players over the years. New York-based guy, and once that happens, Ryan says, look, I'm going to make a deal. You know, let's get the best we can get, the best offer we can get out there from a team that makes sense, a team that makes sense for him skill-wise. And it turned out it was the Giants. And so the deal gets done. The Giants' secondary is better. Now, where we're at in training camp is the Giants scrimmaged on Friday. They're going to scrimmage again this coming Thursday. So that scrimmage on Friday, what we've seen so far, including that scrimmage and up to that time, what I'm concerned about. Let's start there. Because this is the, the key to the Giants' season, right? Daniel Jones did not make you feel any better from that scrimmage when we're talking about his fumbling, his ball security. Because that's really the biggest problem he had in his rookie year. There's no doubt about it. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. Everybody knows it. Everybody saw it. The fumble numbers were outrageous. Now, the Giants are playing in this scrimmage. It's as close they're getting to a game environment probably as they are until the regular season starts. But the quarterback is still wearing a red jersey. That means you cannot touch him. You can't hit him. Now, when you run by him, you could swipe at the ball a little bit. But if you make contact and, you know, close on him, take him down, you're going to get reamed out. Okay? So he's still wearing the red jersey. And while wearing the red jersey during the scrimmage, he has the ball poked out by Lorenzo Carter. Not from the blind side, mind you, but in front of him, working off that Left edge against the right tackle. was Cam Fleming on the play. Lorenzo Carter comes around the edge. Daniel Jones doesn't slide enough, doesn't have two hands on the ball at the moment, and Lorenzo Carter is able to poke it out and recover it. Turnover. Another play. You could call it a fumble. I don't know what you want to say. He slides. The ball kind of comes out a little bit before, right, as he's sliding. Who knows what it turns out as. Gets the ball back. But still, we're talking about a quarterback. Who's had major ball security issues? You want to see those buttoned up. And really, we're not going to know until they're completely fixed, until he's facing live bullets in game action. And as close as he's come, he clearly lost a fumble in one half of action. So that concern still exists. Now, do I think his fumbles will decrease? Yes. It was such an outrageous pace he was on last year. 18 fumbles, 12 lost. He didn't even start 16 games. That uh, feeling more comfortable, being more accustomed to the speed of the NFL game, uh, really understanding what's going around, on around you, being able to get the ball out quicker. Naturally, I think he's going to be better at the fumbles. It's not, The number's not going to be that outrageous. But it's still a concern to me. This year and long term, you hear people, I'm talking talent evaluators in the NFL. The debate is, is pocket presence innate? Is his pocket presence overall still going to be a problem? And I think some of the evidence points to yes. But yes, if he, you know, gets sacked a little bit or fumbles or, you know, you could kind of work around that as long as he curbs it. But it can't be as big a problem as it was last year. And this wasn't the most encouraging sign. Now, what was encouraging so far and about that scrimmage on the flip side of that, the pass rush off the edges, I know people have been concerned about that since the get-go, and I agree I was as well. I think they're going to have enough to be decent at that spot with Lorenzo Carter, who let's not be, go crazy. He's not going to be Lawrence Taylor. He's probably not even going to be a double-digit sack guy. He's never been a double-digit sack guy in college or the pros, so I don't see why that's going to happen all of a sudden. Now, but can he be a quality player, a decent starter? I think so. Can he provide some pressure? I think so. We know Marcus Golden can provide some pressure. And O'Shane Zimenez is a player I like. I think he can provide some pressure as well. He's had a pretty strong training camp. So between those three guys, and then maybe throw Kyler Fackrell in the mix once in a while, I think they could be okay off the edge. Are they going to be great? No. They don't have that top-end guy. That guy who commands the double team. That scares the bejesus out of every opponent. But I think they could be okay there. It's the interior pass rush where I think they're lacking. Right? It's Leonard Williams, who, look, we've gone over to Leonard Williams things a thousand times, but he had half a sack last year. Gets some pressure, but has half a sack. Who else in there is going to be get real pressure? Dexter Lawrence might be a great two-down player, Linville Joseph, Snacks Harrison type guy, but I just don't see him being a consistent three-down player. At 350 pounds, you just don't get three-down players, pass rushers on, in sub-packages, in the nickel formation It's not not what he's going to be. So the interior pass rush is where I think the Giants are deficient. Not that edge. That edge looked pretty good. The defense overall, I think it's going to be improved. They looked good in the scrimmage. They were the better unit. The offense only scored three points. So there's definitely some optimism there. Now, the purpose of this podcast was to answer your questions. Right? So let's get into that. Let's go do that. On to the next one. Ah, yes, my favorite part of this podcast, where I answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in Giants After Dark. All right, now I did one on Twitter, Periscope, you could go catch it on my Twitter account on, I guess it was Sunday night. Uh, A bunch of you guys asked me questions. I saved them for the podcast. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for joining and for the questions. Keep them coming my way. I will always try to answer your questions at some point. But let's get into it. From Twitter, if I like your tweet, it means I'm going to use it in the podcast at some point. So keep an eye out for that. Let's start with I am Sam Kresh. He says, what are your expectations for Andrew Thomas this season based on everything you've seen? Now, Andrew Thomas looks the role. We're talking about the number four overall pick in the NFL draft, right? He better look the role. And he looks like he's going to be a quality player. And that long term, the Giants are going to have a left tackle that they could play. But remember, he is a rookie. And rookie tackles do not come in. I don't care where you pick. Go look at the last 10 years. It's very rare that rookie tackles come in, especially on the left side, and come in and dominate. And so what you're going to see from Andrew Thomas is some up and downs. And I think the, the expectation should be Andrew Thomas is an average left tackle this year. And if he's an average left tackle as a rookie, let me tell you, that's pretty darn good. Because then you see it during practice. There's some up and there's some down. He's working on keeping his hands inside. He's working on dealing with NFL power. That's something I would watch really closely. There's been times at training camp and in practice where you see him Having trouble dealing with power, the bull rush. There was one rep we saw one-on-one drills. First rep, Andrew Thomas against Lorenzo Carter. And Lorenzo Carter is not the biggest, strongest guy in the world. At that, that he's gonna face, and Lorenzo Carter just demolished Andrew Thomas. Sent him.
1: Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets pizza. Better because it has to be.
0: In the air, and he was on his backside. So, it's definitely something to watch. But I think, based on what I've seen so far, you're likely to see probably an average tackle. And I think that's pretty good. Now, the next question to follow up is Doug Adams 25 asks... Fair to say Solder, Nate Solder here, sitting out means he'll return at right tackle next year. Seems inevitable. Now, I don't think it's inevitable, okay? I think it's possible the Giants move on from Nate Solder. He hasn't been very good in the first place. They're going to be in really healthy shape financially. Now, it's a little harder. The likelihood was he would have been on the team this year, and next year the money said, would have said, okay, we could have got out of him at a fairly reasonable price. But I don't know exactly. i got to look at what the numbers are again. But the Giants aren't going to be saving that much if they get rid of Nate Solder next year. Say a few million dollars instead of, you know, the the 12 million or whatever it would have been. But, look, it might be time. If Andrew Thomas is the real deal and the Giants like Matt Peart or uh, Camp Fleming has a good year and they want to bring him back or uh, whatever, Nick Gates ends up playing right tackle, they might easily just move on from Nate Solder. It just might be time to move on. It was a bad signing. It didn't work out. It was a lot of money, and he didn't play as a top-end player. And you don't really know if he's going to be a good right tackle. He hasn't been a good left tackle the last couple of years. What tells you is going to be a good right tackle. Now Maybe they would try it out in training camp and then make a decision there. But I don't think anything is inevitable when Nate Solder, especially after sitting out this season. And now he's going to be you know uh, coming back after a year of not playing, on top of not playing well the two previous years. All right, we got plus underscore sign says the Giants trade a player before roster cuts. Who is it? And I will say this. I don't think the Giants have a lot of easily tradable players, right? They're not especially deep. They don't have those veterans that maybe another team would like. But the only one that really comes to my mind, who if they really got a decent deal for and he's kind of expendable, he plays this, you know, a comparable position to Sterling Shepard would be Golden Tate. But I'm not sure you could even get out of his contract at this point. Who wants that money for a 31 year old receiver? The team would have to be pretty desperate, probably, uh, for a wide receiver. So if there was a guy, I think it would be Golden Tate. But I would think it's, I would be very surprised if that did happen. So uh, aside from that, I mean, who else are they going to trade? You know, maybe like a B.J. Hill type, but I mean, B.J. Hill to me serves a purpose. The Giants want depth on that defensive line to rotate in and out. I think B.J. Hill is a quality player in the NFL, so I don't think the Giants would trade him. Uh, Aside from that, I mean, if there's a guy in the bottom end of the roster that they trade for, for like a conditional pick, I guess that's possible, but it's impossible for me to predict that, so I'm not even going to go there. Next question. D. Seidenfrau says, are the two DBs just brought in here to play gunner or do the giants have some guys on their roster getting the job done there yeah you know what i think that is a fair question and you're talking about brandon williams who came in he played mostly special teams for the cardinals and i don't know how to pronounce his name really Varai russell i probably botched it but you know former notre dame guy uh who was just those two were just signed recently off the street brandon williams i think has the best chance to stick as sort of a gunner type and fill that role. I think if anything, if he makes the roster, it will be in that role. Remember, Joe Judge is going to put an emphasis on special teams. When you're talking about the bottom of the roster, that is of going to be of optimal importance. So, yeah, a guy like Brandon Williams, entirely possible in my mind, sticks as a gunner type, as like a you know fifth cornerback or whatever it is. Jules Gomez asks, please just let us know. How is Andrew Thomas looking so far? Uh, well, Jules, I think I... I answered that before. I don't know why I doubled up on liking both of those. I guess I I really answered that both in one for the first question I answered here with I am Sam uh, Kresh. So uh, sorry about doubling up on that there, but uh, let's go to the next one. Okay. We got Mike Veneziano. He says, How would you rank the four drafted linebackers thus far? Brown, who's Cam Brown out of uh, Penn State, Uh, Carter Coughlin, TJ Brunson, and Tay Crowder, and who is the leading candidate to replace Core at Gunner? And that's a fair question. Core, I mean, they're still looking for that guy. Like I said, Brandon Williams, I think, is in that mix. Um, the C.J. Board, who they picked up as on waivers as a wide receiver a couple weeks ago, he's in that mix. You might see like a Corey Ballantyne running down there. So guys like that, I think, are in the mix. David Sills is another one I could see, another wide receiver. Uh, you know, trying to make the the bottom of the roster that that's a that's a big deal for him. If he could prove that he's that gunner, definitely could see him finish you know earning a spot on this final roster. So that'll that'll all factor in as the as the gunner to replace Cody Kors, the gunner's uh, really. And that's for ranking the drafted linebackers as far as playing a role this season, that's how I'm going to draft him. I'm going to go with Tay Crowder, number one, being that he's a guy that. Kind of has a specialty, and I think it's a, you know, he can fit into sub packages. His ability to run and cover has been impressive so far. So I put him number one. Carter Coughlin, number two. To me, he's just flashed. He looks small out there, but he's flashed. He just makes some plays. Uh, You know, you see him in the backfield a bunch. You see him making plays. I kind of like what I'm seeing from him. Cam Brown would be next. Uh, you, I mean, first of all, he's got that you know skill set that I could see the Giants' coaches really wanting to work with. I believe he's the sixth rounder, and the other guys are seventh, off the top of my head. Um, and like, the, but the Giants' coaches are getting, you know, getting in in his backside consistently. He's like their whipping boy. This Cam Brown, the guy out of Penn, the, the linebacker, outside linebacker out of Penn State, he's just getting hammered every day at practice by coaches. You you see them yelling at him. But there's two ways to look at it. One, they like him enough. They're trying to develop him to see the skills that they could develop. Or two, they're just going to get in that room and be like, I can't trust this guy and have him on the roster. So it can go one of two ways. So he's number three to me. And Brunson is probably last at this point. He just seems to be a little further behind in regards to being able to contribute immediately this year. Now, those were my rankings one to four. It's possible three of these four guys end up on the practice squad this year. And don't make the final roster. I mean, these are late round picks. Late round picks this year are at a real disadvantage. Most of them aren't ready to contribute immediately, uh, even if it's on special teams. That's where Cam Brown might make his mark this year is on special teams. So, uh, you know, he he might be ahead of – I might actually flip him ahead of Carter Coughlin because of that. But uh, anyway, it's easily possible two or three of these guys are on the practice squad this year because – and look guys on the practice squad are likely going to end up playing at some point and teams aren't going to turn over their roster as much because there's just a time constraint that's going to go on of you know, have to pass tests you have to pass a physical you're not just gonna be able to get signed and and caught up to speed quickly as quickly as usual so rosters are going to turn over less all right next one uh we got at the last question, at Jasper755. Hi, Jordan. I'm increasingly frustrated that the Giants block so much info from fans. For example, they never said how X got hurt. I think this approach is bad for fans and makes me distrust the organization. Too much secrecy. Well, I'll say this, Jasper755. Get used to it. This is the way of the world. This is the way it's going. Because of the COVID environment, teams have had the opportunity to say, Look, there's no fans in training camp. It's not getting recorded by fans. We therefore have the option not to let reporters record most of this stuff in team drills or say who's the starter and all this stuff. It's an opportunity for them to gain a competitive advantage on their opponent, and they're going to take it. And they're going to take more and more and more over the years if that's a possibility. Now, we'll see what the TV ratings are because that's what it all comes down to. Are the TV ratings going to be normal? Are people really going to be tuned in? Because the buzz, to me, has definitely not been quite the same as it has in the past. You know, So NFL owners might be like, hey, hey, our TV ratings are down. We can't close this, close this off. That will not be good for our business. But if the TV ratings are just as good, nobody's going to care from an owner perspective. Because unless it hurts their pocketbook, they don't care if you distrust the organization as long as you're still engaged. Now, you're right. You're not getting as much information. Part of that is going to be that's going to be the way Judge approaches this. He's not going to tell anybody about injuries. Uh, he's already been completely vague. He even quoted HIPAA for a reason. He wasn't going to tell you about Blake Martinez, uh, why he, he's he been absent. And from what I understand, that wasn't really an injury thing. So, uh, But again, this is the way of the world. Get used to it. This is kind of... The secrecy that's going to go on nowadays, especially if they're allowed to do it. So with that, that's the end of this version of Giants After Dark. Do it again soon. On to the next one. All right. Whipped through some of your questions there. Now we're going to do a little Jordan on the beat where I tell you what it's like to be a beat reporter for ESPN, covering the New York Giants, so working, covering the NFL. And what I'm going to tell you right now is what it was like to watch the scrimmage. Okay, what it's going to be like inside the stadium, because we got on Friday at least the taste of what the stadium experience is going to be like. And it was kind of interesting because there's all this piped in noise and it's not bad. But Saquon Barkley, when I asked him about it, what he told me is it's like practice, right? They practice during the week. There's music in the background, but they're in the back of the, the Giants facility. And that's what games are going to be like this year. Now the intensity will obviously be a little more than practice because they know it's at stake. But the atmosphere, though, but there'll be some pumped-in noise. There was still some like uh, you know video boards, highlights before the game of you know the hype video, and then uh, the Giants locked arms at midfield, had their social justice statement in video play, and a lot of the stuff that goes around the around the game. Now the fans are not there. But, you know, some of the other things are, uh, I think we'll be seeing, you know, first down calls and stuff, you know, just piped over the loudspeakers. Now, there also, from what I understand, are rules and regulations, how much noise teams can pump in, when they can pump it in. These things are going to be limited. So it'll be interesting to see how the regular season goes. But there will be a lot of noise in the stadium. It'll be all artificial. Some guys will just be able to tune it out. I think some guys are able to tune out the noise in in uh, in a regular game. So, but as for the reporter experience, it's interesting because you go in the press box. There's no food. There's no drink. Uh, they have set spots set up, but it's really spread out. The press boxes are really big, right? They hold hundreds of people, but now they hold significantly less. So there's you know a good six, eight, ten feet between people. Everyone has to wear a mask the whole time. And they gave us the option in this one to go sit in one of the sections in the stands. So and then and you know scattered throughout are people who were working at the stadium. Security people, uh I don't know what whatever their jobs are, but there were definitely people at the stadium who worked there, I guess regularly. You know, field crew uh, whatever it is. But I mean you're talking about if I say 100 I'm probably overestimating. But 100 people in a 75,000-seat stadium. So it's dead empty. And when the music went off for a minute at halftime, it was kind of eerie. It was quiet. But they put some reporters that said you could go sit in that section. It was in the end zone, so it wasn't the best view. Uh, the mezzanine, so it's like the second section, the 200 level. And, uh, you know, we're all spread out there. But there's only like, what, 10 people, 15 people in that section. So it's vacant there. But on the field players are going to have to create their own energy. Knowing what's at stake, I don't think that's hard. These guys are such competitors that I don't think that's going to be a problem. I, you do lose the home field advantage, though, in regards to fans making noise and that kind of stuff. The only thing is, what would be interesting this year, teams that travel, I think, are also going to be at a disadvantage because travel restrictions and regulations are going to be exhausting. Guys are going to be... You know, some teams, who knows, they might travel day of game, right? Or if you go beforehand, I mean, there's just a lot of restrictions of what you're allowed to do, how you can uh, be in the locker room, or uh, how you're going to get to the stadium, how they bust teams over. So everything is going to be a process. So that is going to make life a little bit harder for road teams. How much? I'm not really sure. I don't think it'll be much. I think it'll pretty much be even. Like, usually... Home teams get the three points, I think. You know That's what they estimate, three points for being the home team in regards to spread. I think you can pretty much wipe out that three points. Maybe one, one point this year for being the home team. But that's my, that's my opinion. So being a reporter at a game is interesting. You don't get to go to the locker room. You're basically just getting to see the game from that view in the stadium. You get all the stats as they go along. You're able to kind of mark down. And to see that whole view of the field – I think is the biggest benefit. But no locker room, no going down on the field pregame. That's what 2020 is going to be like. So it's going to be less of a benefit of being at the game for sure. So we'll see how it goes. But that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, remember, like, subscribe, tell your friends. We're on all podcast platforms, ESPN app, everywhere. Breaking Big Blue, you got to listen. This guy Jordan, he's crazy. He could be funny. He's an idiot. I cover the entire spectrum. So make sure you listen. Make sure you tell your friends and subscribe. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time.